You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Oh, very good. Excellent, excellent. You guys may have a seat. Good job. Good job, everybody. And uh, good job to everybody who's decorated the place. It looks very Christmassy. I thought I was coming into a uh, Christmas play, and I am. So uh, <laughs> you want to be back here this afternoon at 5 p.m. And you want to come early? Uh, because you want to make sure you get a good seat. No doubt that uh, uh, the seats will be at a premium. And uh, I've got to tell you, no, no better place to be than uh, in a Christmas presentation here this afternoon at five o'clock. Hey, it's great to have you here this morning, however. So glad that you could make it. And uh, those who aren't here but are listening online, we welcome you as well. Uh, this is, I guess, the beginning in terms of our, uh, our, our preaching in, uh, as we make our way uh, into Christmas. Uh, there's something about good news, isn't there? We, we love good news. If, if someone was to tell you that um, a coffee shop that opened up in town here and the coffee was like of an A1 standard, it was like a whole new level. The service was friendly and prompt and my goodness, even the food was good. Well, if someone said that to you and you're a coffee connoisseur, I got to tell you, you would want that to be true. Now, of course, you don't know that because you only heard someone say it. But there's something I know about you, and that's if you like coffee, that is. If you like coffee and someone was to say that to you, what you would do is you would go and check it out. Uh, and not just you, but probably a few hundred, maybe a few thousand others would go and check it out. And there'd be a line out the front if it was true. But there's something about good news that we like to lean into. There's something about good news that we, we want it to be true, even at times if we're not sure that it's true. Um, the story of Jesus was called Godspell. Uh, there was a musical no- named uh, after that, and of course it simply means good story. We've been hearing this morning about everybody has a story, but the good news of the story of Jesus is that it's all good. It is all good. Uh, and people like to get on board things that are good. They like to lean into it. And if it's shared to them by someone they trust, they want to test it out. Uh, I'm, I'm going to... Um, begin at the start of the, the uh, a gospel of Luke in a moment. We're going to v- begin at the first verse. We're going to make our way through a fair bit of it this morning, so fasten your seatbelts. But I'm about to read you a verse that's an absolute showstopper. Uh, if you're a Christian and you've read you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you've read the gospels um, p- probably a number of times, uh, maybe you've never, never really noticed this, but this is like a grab you by the collar, shake you around like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, incredible verse. So I'm going to put it up on the screen behind me. It's Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. It says this. Um, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled among us. Uh, let me ask you a question. I don't mean to be rude. But once you die, how many people are going to line up to, give it, to write an account of your life? And, and of course... The answer is not, probably not many. Um, And yet we're living in a day and age where publishing is pretty much uh, the domain of everybody. It's very, very simple. But not so when this was written 2,000 years ago. To put it in context, there were very few publishing possibilities. There was no internet, of course. Uh, There was no photocopiers. There was no typewriters. 
There was no printing presses. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to write something down, it was both very expensive and very laborious. And if you paid the money and went to the effort, why would you bother when less than 10% of the population could read? (laughs) The very fact that that says that many have undertaken to draw up an account is within itself quite remarkable. If you were a rich person, like an emperor, like Julius Caesar, then you might hire a scribe, or there might be a scribe or, or, or a, um, uh, a paid-for historian that would record your life. And then you'd get to review it, make sure that you know he did a good job and you were happy with the way it presented you, and then you might allow it to go into some a library somewhere, but you'd have to have money. You'd have to have power. Uh, You'd have to be, if not the emperor of Rome, you'd have to be somebody in a position of political or military power. One thing you would never be is a manual labourer. And yet this is recorded about a man who was a manual labourer. Indeed, he was a carpenter, and Luke writes, many have undertaken. Well, how many is many? Could could you give us a number there, Luke? Kind of leaves me wondering a little bit. Um, Obviously, many has to be confined in terms of, defined in terms of context. Uh, If you're talking about how many children you have and how many stars in the sky, how many many is different, right? Uh, one is numbered in the hundreds of millions and the other, you know, if you've got five or six, you've got a lot of kids. So clearly many is different in, in terms of the context. But what Luke is saying to us here is that there is more than one, in fact, more than two, in fact, more than three. In fact, I, I couldn't really count them. I just knew there was a lot. But I know this. I, I want you, and he's writing to a person here, it's verse three, next uh, Two two verses, but the next verse at the back there says, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too uh, decided to write an orderly account along with all the others. This guy's a doctor, by the way, so he has some resources, no doubt. He was the kind of, in terms of the the social uh, strata, he was from the top. He was educated. he was uh, well-versed. He was able, obviously, to read and write. And he wasn't sure of the abilities of those others who were doing this job. So he decided to hop on the bandwagon. He said, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. And he's writing to a specific person. So he's not just keeping a record for the sake of posterity. He's writing to a man by the name of Theophilus. Now, who is Theophilus? We're not 100% sure. He seems to be a... Uh, Uh, of the aristocracy of Rome. Uh, He seems to be somebody who's very interested in this fellow Jesus Christ and he wants to know more. And he has some relationship with this doctor, this fellow called Luke. The point of their relationship we're unsure about, but there clearly is a matter of trust there. Theophilus trusts Luke's word and Luke knows that and has a sense of obligation to this this uh, uh, aristocrat within the Roman uh, order 
that he might be able to understand exactly what's going on. And he says this, so that you might know the certainty of the things, of the things you have been taught. No doubt you hear others saying it, but I am validating their stories for you with skill and with accuracy. So Theophilus, you can take this to the bank. And you and I are incredibly fortunate this morning that this document that was vigorously researched by this doctor, you and I have it in our hands, this 2,000 year old record for this Roman uh, uh, bigwig called Theophilus. Uh, I don't know whether you really comprehend how personal these writings were, in this case, from one man to one man. Luke had no idea he was writing the Bible. We look and we go, that's the Bible. You know, you you believe in the Bible or you don't believe in the Bible. Frankly, it's got nothing to do with whether or not you believe in the Bible or don't believe in the Bible. The point is, this was a letter written from a specific individual to another specific individual for a very clear and present purpose. And here's the point. This was good news. The reason why Theophilus wanted to lean in was because it was good news and we love good news. We want to lean into good news. We want to find out more about good news. We want to test good news. The angels were the first to announce it as good news directly in the, uh, uh, just a few verses later in the next chapter. It says, but the angels said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. There's our phrase. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And everybody said, okay, he said, I've got, this, I've got this message. And this message, when it hits people's hearts, is gonna stir their emotions so much that they will effervesce, right? They will overflow with incredible joy. Now, If I said to you, if I was Oprah, right? And I said to you, everybody gets a car this morning. Everybody's got a new car. Right, okay. That got some excitement. There's a bit of joy there. And here's the truth, folks, right? If you got a new car this morning, guess what? In 20 years' time, it'd be an old car. In 20 years' time, you'd be driving around this hunk of junk. Right, you'd be putting all your money into it, you'd be probably cursing it or whatever it is that you do to 20-year-old cars. <laughs> and, and the joy that you had right now, and I said, everybody gets a new car. Woo-hoo! And if I said that, right, and that was happening here today, you wouldn't get in the street, right? Because that would be good news. But it'd be good news for a small time. Because in generations to come, your children's children here heard that you got a new car. Well, well they go, oh, big deal. <laughs> what good is that to me? This good news was so powerful that it was going to uh, initiate joy, not just in the hearts of that generation, but in the hearts of that generation, and every generation that followed on from there on until the coming of the second coming of the Lord. This was going to be so powerful in terms of how. It would bring joy. But Jesus remained tight-lipped. Here he is, this message of, of great, this, this good news that brings great joy. And he says nothing, basically, for 30 years. 
until he steps onto the banks of the Jordan. And then we see this good news. As good news has a tendency to do, to start the spread. And before you know it, in a very short space of time from then, I'm continuing in the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 17. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They come from every village, as you do when it's good news. From Galilee, from Judah, even from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. This room, he's in this man's house. And it's filled. The living areas are filled. There's peasants, there's tradies, there's landowners. There's every echelon of society. There's even the religious leaders that are cramming in because they're concerned about what's going on in this house. I will even suggest to you, not only was there no room in the house to move, but there was probably a perimeter of people around the house who couldn't get into the house. Such was the popularity of good news. People wanted it to be true. They wanted to check it out. And so they came from all over because the message himself was starting to speak. And it says this, that some men carried a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Jesus is speaking. And his words are being interrupted by noises on the roof. People might, might have thought to begin with, is that, you know, what's that up there? Is it a squirrel? Is it, is it a possum? Or whatever it is. <laughs> is there something on the roof? And, uh, and as, but then there was more steps on the roof. People thinking, I think there's people up there. And then all of a sudden, some mortar gives way and, 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 and falls to the ground. And then there's a, a shaft of sunlight right on Jesus' face. Yeah. And no doubt at that moment, everybody looked up, as you would. And looking through this little hole that's growing in its elongation, there's these little beady eyes looking down at Jesus. And no doubt they're thinking to themselves, what is going on? There's someone on the roof, hang on a minute, there's, not, there's another one. There's another set of eyes. And this hole keeps growing and growing and growing until they get it large enough to the point where they think they can get a stretcher with a man on it, I could only assume he was well tied onto that stretcher as they kind of, you know, um, uh, position him and shift him through that hole until he's through the hole into the, in, in, into the, uh, into the room and they, they lower him down before Jesus. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, we have another service at 5 p.m., you know, you can come back. No. <laughs> He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. To which the man on the stretcher probably said, oh, thanks, but that's really not what I'm here for. Uh, you know, <laughs> I haven't been able to get up too many sins lately because I can't walk, you see. <laughs> I don't know what sin you got up to this week, but my sneaking suspicion is your legs took you there. Uh, so this bloke's lying there thinking, oh, no, you know, sin has not my biggest felt need right now, Jesus. Appreciate you forgiving me of my sins. But that's not my, it's not my problem right now. Uh, to which the Pharisees, the religious in the room, they were ropeable, right? They were, they were angry. They're thinking to themselves, look, listen, Jesus. You can teach your pithy little sayings. 
You can share your stories or parables, whatever you want to talk, call them. But who gave you the authority to forgive sin? We have a whole system to forgive sin. In, in fact, it's the center of our, our whole community, the center of our nation. Our, our identity is based on the temple. And, and the way we get forgiveness of sin was laid out to us by our forefathers, by the great Moses who got it directly from God himself. And we know how to get our sins forgiven. We go through the ritual processes and the sacrifices and so on and so forth. This had been a time-honoured tradition. Not only that, but it entrenched their power and ensured their security of employment. So you can imagine that these guys are rusted onto this notion and here comes this, this upstart, this newcomer on the block who thinks he can replace the temple, the teachings of Moses that were given to him by Jehovah. He just rocks in and says, uh, your sins are forgiven, forgiven you. Who does he think he is? But Jesus says this, he can hear what's going on in their head. And he responds to it by saying this, and also he's speaking to us all. Where he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. And that is good news. Forgiveness is a gift. Wow. You mean we haven't got to go through some kind of ceremonial rituals and penance and try to make up for all of our mistakes? You're saying to me that now you have come, that all of my mistakes, all of my bad decisions, all of my, let's use the word sin, because that's what he used, all of my sin can be forgiven? We don't, in this modern culture, we don't really embrace the category of sin. Um, and I think we have a misunderstanding about it, to be honest. I think the reason we have rejected it is because we misunderstand it. We think that sin is something that we've done to offend this easily offendable God. That there's this God up there in heaven somewhere and I've probably done something or said something or, go, or gone somewhere that he hasn't approved of and so therefore... I'm a sinner, but Jesus taught sin in a whole different light. He taught sin from the perspective of don't worry too much about your father in heaven, but when you offend the person whom he loves, then you've sinned. And, and we've all done that. We've all been on, the, on uh, uh, the receiving end of that as well, I should imagine. You see, the truth is, forget about God's law for a moment. The truth is, you've never met a person who's even kept their own. You've never met a person who's kept their own standard. Uh, you've never met a, a thief who enjoys being stolen from. Uh, you, you've never met a, a person who likes being lied to. But you've never met a person who's never told a lie. <laughs> we all have a standard, and we've not even met our own standard. So forget about this, this, this rejection of the category of sin. Folks, Sin is the great leveler. Sin is something that we've all entered into, but forgiveness of sin is the greatest news that mankind would ever receive. Jesus, forgiveness, and he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Wow. <laughs> oh, boy, was that good news. This 
lame man who hasn't been able to walk, we don't know how long. This risk that had been taken, not just by him, but by the four buddies up on the roof, who are peering down, wondering how this is going to unfold. Just hoping that the message, that the, the, the rumors that had been getting around about this guy Jesus were true. I mean, they'd taken a big risk. They had wrecked property that didn't belong to them. You know, no doubt as the roof starts to get broken open, the homeowner who's probably there is thinking to himself, I knew I shouldn't have done this. I knew I shouldn't let Jesus in here. Man, the place is being trashed. You know, we've just had the roof redone. Like, goodness me. These boys took a risk. But no doubt when they saw this, they left that place and they told everybody that they knew what had happened. Because when you have good news, you can't keep it to yourself. When you know how good this news is, it's not something that just sits there in the back of your mind that comes to the fore from time to time. It's something that compels you. It's something that overwhelms you. These poor boys would have gone home and they would have told everybody they knew without fear of rejection, without fear of somebody raising an eyebrow, without fear of retaliation. They just would have shared what they experienced because they had an experience. And how many know the man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with merely a theology? The man with merely a process or an idea. These men had an experience and they were not going to be stopped. They would have told everybody, this is good news. I've got some good news for you this morning. In fact, we've got a video there. Uh, I want to I show you what uh, uh, some good news looks like that's come from our own uh, fellowship, our own um, people here. Daniel Hamilton's got some good news. Hi, church. I've got Daniel Hamilton here with me. He's got an interesting story that we're going to share. Welcome, Daniel. Good to have you. Daniel, tell us a little bit about um, what happened to you and the predicament it left you in. Yeah. Well, Four years ago, I had a uh, accident at work um, where I damaged damaged uh, parts of my spine and uh, vertebrae and discs and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, had a number of different procedures. I had a surgery four years ago, pretty much as soon as it happened. I uh, had a number of different procedures throughout now and then, mm-hmm. um, which led me to four years of pain and not being able to do what I wanted to do, uh, running around with kids, playing, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then something's happened in the last few weeks. Tell us a little bit about your experience over the last, uh, these last couple of weeks. Yeah, um, so four weeks ago I had a uh, multi-level spinal fusion and, and surgery um, where they went in, they fused levels, um, they done cauterization of the nerves, uh, also um, disectomy, which is where they cut out pieces of discs that are yeah. bulged. Major surgery? Yeah, pretty major surgery, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so then you had to then recover from that surgery? Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. So, in the beginning, the first couple of days of surgery, you can appreciate I was in, I was in a bit of a state, mm-hmm. uh, not really able to do a lot. Um, five days after I, I said, that's it, I'm out of hospital. I was supposed to be in there for two weeks. Five days later, I said, no, I'm yeah. going home. Had enough. Yeah, had enough. Um, and literally on the sixth day, I jumped out of bed perfectly fine. Wow. So like perfectly normal. And you went back to the doctors? Yeah, went back to the doctors. Um, <laughs> went to go get dressing changed. Uh, 
ended up with um, getting the dressing changed and when I was getting it changed, there was no stitches or staples left there where there was before. Uh, they had no explanation. They actually said to me that I'd pulled them out myself and questioned if I'd pulled them out myself, I had someone pull them out myself. Wow. So, yeah. And what did the doctor say? Well, I had no idea. They, there's no explanation for the stuff, so. Wow. Yeah. And how are you feeling? I feel amazing. I'm oh, like, no. I, literally after the six days, I, I'm back to, I feel as if I'm back to where I was prior to my injury completely. Wow. I've got almost full range of motion, the wow. only thing is. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, praise God, eh? Yeah, that's it. He does miracles. 100%. Good on you, mate. Well, thanks yeah. for well, sharing with us. <laughs> And that's good news. <laughs> hey, that's better than a new car, folks. Not being able to walk and move around freely and then all of a sudden being able to run and jump and play with your children. You can't get better than that. That is good news. And the story continued. And Jesus left this place where this guy who couldn't walk is now walking. Or in this instance, a guy who could hardly walk is now running. <laughs> And on the way out, it says after this in verse 27, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, you've probably never seen a tax booth. You've seen a toll booth, though. Um, this doesn't have a, uh, probably an aluminium arm that you sort of pay your money to get out of the car park and up it lifts and out you go. What it has is a spear, a Roman spear. And as you go past a tax booth, you have to pay the tax or the Roman spear might meet you. <laughs> and uh, that wouldn't be very nice. So, so this guy, Levi, who's a Jew, and uh, he sold out to the Roman Empire. He's treasonist. He's the lowest of the low. Roman, uh, his, his fellow countrymen wouldn't spit on him if he was on fire. Uh, he's not allowed near the temple. God doesn't like him. He knows God doesn't like him, but he's settled with the fact that he can get money. He's being paid off by, by, the, by the Caesars, by Rome. And so he sold his soul to the devil, if you will. Literally sold his soul to the devil. We don't know what would have occasioned uh, a Jew to become a tax collector of the Roman Empire. We don't know how they bribed him, how they paid him off, where they put him into a situation where, you know, it was the only way out for him, so he accepted the, the, the circumstance. Things like this happen. Uh, but Levi knew full well that God didn't like him because he was told as much by the religious leaders. His fellow countrymen could not abide him. And here standing before him is this guy, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, follow me. Now Levi would have been saying to himself, what are you talking to me for? You're a rabbi. Rabbis don't speak to tax collectors. It's not the done thing. And it's not like I'm hiding it. You know, I, I'm literally, I've got my sign up. I've got my Roman soldier here. I, 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 I'm taking money. You are catching me in the act. And you're inviting me to follow you? You're catching me in the act of doing the very thing that the religious people rail against and you're asking me to follow you? Where? Like, where are we going? And Jesus says to him, we're going to your house. You're thinking, what? 
you can't come to my house. These disciples who were following him said, we're not going to his house. We've got a reputation to uphold. We're good Jewish boys. That's a house of ill repute. There's all kinds of things that happen in that house. People see us going into that house. We will not be taken seriously ever again. We ain't going to that house. I'm sorry, Jesus. But they had no choice. They'd chosen to follow him. And so off he goes and Levi goes with him to Levi's house. And Jesus is making a really powerful statement here. Jesus is saying, no matter how far you've wandered off the straight path, I'm still inviting you to follow me. The Pharisees outside the house, they wouldn't have even gone on the footpath of anywhere near Levi's house. Jesus knew this. And Jesus had good news. And he makes this statement to them. This is good news. Jesus says to the Pharisees. He says to the self-righteous. He says to those who think they live up to a standard where they really don't live up to the standard they've set for everybody else. He says this, he says to, this, he says this to them in Luke chapter 5 and verse 31. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. I've come for these people. I've come for those who recognize they are not righteous, who are devoid of self-righteousness. I've got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that the most odious infiltration of the church of Jesus Christ is self-righteousness. And Jesus said, I've come for those who are devoid of self-righteousness, who know they are sinners, and I don't care how bad a sinner they might happen to be, I've come to call them to repentance. What does that mean? I've, I've called them to change the way they see the world. I've called them to change the way they see God. I've called them to change the way they see themselves. I've called them to a whole new paradigm of living. I've called them to see themselves as God sees them this is a whole new level of good folks it's all good the story of Jesus and so you say well so what I can't be good and anybody who pretends they could be good I know is really a hypocrite no folks you're not just called to be good in fact in following Jesus, you will find yourself in circumstances where you have the opportunity to do good though. He's not just calling you to be good, but he is indeed encouraging us, calling us on a journey to do good. It's a, it's a spirit thing. It's, it's an internal thing. Something that happens deep within our hearts, but when it does happen, it occasions us to live a life of doing good. In fact, he goes on and says this in 632. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. So he's called the sinner to repentance. What is it that he's called us to? He says it here. If you, here, here's our good word. If you do good. Oh, wow. So your message is all good and you've called us to do good. But if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit that to you? Even sinners do that. So it's not that. Doing good to people, doing the right thing. If you do right by me, then I'll do right by you, is a sinful perspective. 
Even the sinners do that. And if you lend to those who expect to repay you, what credit is that for you? Even sinners do that. You know, you have an opportunity this week. You have an opportunity today. In fact, you may even have an opportunity before this meeting's over to do good, right? That is to not respond to somebody the way they've treated you, but to respond in the grace of God. And if you do, he goes on and says, then your reward will be great. If you do good, your reward will be great. I bring you good news of great joy. Good to great every time. Your reward will be great. And, and listen, listen, this is it, folks. You will be called the children of the Most High. Wow. If you respond to somebody in a good way who doesn't necessarily deserve it, you will be defined as children of the Most High. You'll be, ref- you'll be defined as children of God. You'll be identifying yourself as Jesus, the Son of God, because He is kind to the ungrateful. Sometimes it's tough, isn't it, to be kind to ungrateful people, to entitled people, self-centered people. He's kind to ungrateful people and wicked people. But in actual fact, there's good news because I can be ungrateful at times. I can whinge and complain and carry on, particularly when it's hot and 42 degrees. <laughs> you know, and I'm stuck in traffic or you can't get what you want or your things not work and you can whinge and complain and carry on. What he says here is that when you do this, you'll be defined as children of the most high. How many know, how many know that this should be the reputation of the church? That, that, that you and I, if we constitute this thing called the church, we are following Jesus, right? We are disciples. We are followers of Christ. Not just Christians, if you know what I mean when I say that. Because you define yourself a Christian. People define themselves as Christians based on their beliefs. I've got to tell you this, folks. People follow Jesus who didn't believe what he believed. I think sometimes we over, uh, over uh, uh, emphasize this. You've got to believe. You've got to believe. Jesus said, hey, just follow me. They didn't believe what he believed, but he didn't care. Just follow me. It'll all come to you in the end. Just keep following. See, they didn't believe he was going to rise from the dead. He did. They didn't believe as he believed, but they followed anyway. And and that's good news because we've got people out there that we're not sure it's true. We should be able to say this. Don't worry about if it's true or not. It's all good. Follow him. He's going to make you better of life because following Jesus makes your life better. Following Jesus makes your life better. Therefore, following Jesus makes you better at life. That just stands to reason. So just follow him. Test and test it. See how it goes. They followed Jesus before they necessarily believed all that he believed. But he embraced them anyway, and they followed him. And he made this statement in verse 36 of that chapter. He said, be merciful, for your father is merciful. And what's not to love about that? I've got to tell you, if you grew up in a church, and you grew up in a time, and you didn't see it as good news, that's because it wasn't in its purest form. The story of Jesus Christ in its purest 
most unadulterated original form is the best news that ever has come. It is God's spell. It is a good story. It is good news. And there's something we love about good news. There's something we want to lean into about good news. It's good news for the unrighteous. It's bad news for the self-righteous, but it's great news. It's good news that leads to great joy for the unrighteous. Those who can acknowledge, yep, I haven't. (laughs) I'm not perfect. I haven't kept the standard. I haven't kept my own standard, leave alone God's standard, whatever that is. I haven't even kept my standard. I haven't kept the standard of my mother. I haven't kept the standard of society. I've erred so many levels. But this is good because sin is the great leveler. It's it's a category that covers us all. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the standard. It doesn't matter how far short you've fallen. The fact that you've fallen short of the standard makes this good news. Today, going back to chapter 2 and verse 10 and 11. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. That's so wonderful. He gave us a saviour. He didn't change the standards. He didn't say, oh, well, I can see the Ten Commandments are too hard. There's too many, so I'll only make it five. (laughs) He didn't say, I'll give you a second chance. You've fallen short. Okay, uh, I'll give you another chance. No, he said, I'm going to give you a saviour. And he set out in the very beginning how it was going to end. This personification of goodness called Jesus Christ. This good who came not for his own good, but came from the good of us. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And he told us about the goodness of God. And he took upon himself all of us, all of our ungood so that we would have an on-ramp, so that we could participate, so that we could be part of this good story. And he says to you what he said to Levi, what he said to all of the other disciples. He said, follow me. Is Christianity good? <laughs> it's all good. When presented in its purest, most unadulterated form, it is all, all good. Even if you don't believe it, it's so good that you would want it to be true. This is good news for every generation. In particular, in particular, it's good news for those who haven't been good themselves. For you, this is all good. This will lead us to great. Let's bow our heads, we're going to pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the good news that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you today, Lord, that of all the good news that we might look forward to, long to hear, be excited about, nothing comes close, nothing gets near the good news that's ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, I pray, rekindle within us that sense of joy. Rekindle within us that excitement at the good news that's ours in Christ Jesus as we come into this season of great
joy based on this good news. Why don't we stand together, folks? Why don't you open up your heart and open up your hands and open up your voice? Let's worship him together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 